This week's episode is brought to you by Free Speech TV. On television, internet, and radio, Free Speech TV inspires viewers to become civically engaged to build a more just, equitable, and sustainable society. For more information, visit freespeech.org. Denver, city weather, intoxicates me with its sunny afternoons. Hello, and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most fail-safe city between Erie and Ellicott. This week on the Diatribe, we're talking about failure, in particular, Colorado's direct file law, which allows district attorneys to sentence juveniles as adults, Frontier's new mascot, Will It Stink?, and Mayor Hancock's latest Welcome to Denver messages for the DIA train. I'm Vanessa in the studio at the Five Points Media Center with me today, our co-hosts Joel and Jared, as well as Julian and Ron, who are both behind the glass for some reason. We don't know why Ron is here. <laughs> he had nothing better to do at 9 o'clock <laughs> on a Friday morning than to come and just hang out. He just can't stay away from us. He's live tweeting, us. guys. Live tweeting. Oh, it live takes, tweeting. It it's better work. from the studio than watching it on live stream. Hi, hi everybody. Howdy. Um, we're also very happy to have a guest in the studio today with us, Natasha Gardner, who is the senior, a senior editor at 5280 Magazine. Welcome, Natasha. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so we don't have, Ron, we don't have any, any announcements or housekeeping, right? It's probably good. No. Okay, good. I'm glad he's here. See, he had to clear that because I'm, I'm, I'm not up on it. <laughs> um, so, so since we don't have any housekeeping, um, we're going to get right to it because um, the, the first topic we're going to talk about today is really, it's got quite a few angles and um, Natasha and I were talking about this earlier. We had intended to have, Nata have Natasha on the show about a month and a half ago, but it really worked out well because um, the issue that, um, that, she, that we're talking about today that she's written about 45280 recently in depth uh, is, is really, it, it's getting a lot of traction this week. So, um, and that is Colorado's direct file law. And Natasha, you've been researching this for the past five years or so. Um, and essentially, this law allows district attorneys to single-handedly sentence juveniles um, as adults. So um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit more about what this law does and, and why it's, it's really so bad? So Colorado's direct file policy is a situation where a DA can decide to send a juvenile to an adult court in an egregious case. So most people think that in these situations we're dealing with mass murders or really atrocious crimes. And, and the fact is that isn't how it's being used. It's being overused by the DAs and used as a manipulation tool. 95% um, of these cases are plea bargained out. And that's where the DA not only makes the decision, but they end up giving the sentence also to the, the juveniles because they, the juvenile is just taking whatever, whatever is handed to them and saying, okay, yeah, we'll go to adult courts. They lose all the protect protections that are provided to them in the juvenile courts then. So anonymity, uh, lower sentencing, things like that, wiping it from their record when they turn 18, that type of protection, all gone. Uh, what, well, and when we say juvenile, what, what kind of uh, age group are we talking about here exactly? And, and what kind of, um, of quote unquote criminal activity, if it actually is, it is kind of the range, like what, what kind of cases are we, are we talking about? Sure, it's age, ages 14 to 18 in Colorado. Um, the crimes range from something like parasite, which is killing a family member, um, to less serious crimes like uh, walking away from a juvenile facility. Consider, it's considered a prison break, essentially. Mm -hmm. 
And and so, Joel, you've covered this. You've actually written about this topic as well um, for Westward a, a, a while back. And what what are some of your thoughts on, on what's happening uh, right now compared to when you wrote your story? What year was that? I wrote mine um, in in 2010. So a couple, a couple years, years ago. ago. I think what's I think what strikes me, I think Natasha would probably agree, is the fact that actually not much has changed. I mean, I mean, we're I mean, we're still having these debates. We're still having these same kind of fights back and forth. I'm going on for years now, and to me, at least, one of the most fascinating parts is how the law is unique here in Colorado. I mean, Colorado is not the only state to you know to have a direct file law you know that people use. Um, there are and, seven, correct? There's, yeah. Actually, there's more than that. But in Colorado, which I think is what you're getting at, it's it's a uniquely punitive system. Yeah, where well, you can't. I mean, once you actually been direct filed, once you know, once a kid is brought from juvenile to adult court, there's no mechanism to possibly bring them back. You know, there's no there's. You know, I think I, I think we're the only state, right? That has no way. We're one of seven who have a similar system. Okay. So what, so, what, so what makes Colorado unique in its direct file law? What makes Colorado unique in its direct file law is, is, as you mentioned, we have direct file, there's no mechanism to bring it back, and then it's used so egregiously by the DAs. And so but, the combination of those three things make us really a punitive. So, so I need some clarification on, on terminology here, because direct file, you know, there's, there's kids being tried not as juveniles but as adults. Right, and that exists in many states. But then we have this term direct file. What does that mean? Direct file is direct filing a child out of juvenile court into adult court. So the the direct filing it's it's really hard to get your head around some of these terms because they don't really make sense. But direct that is the the method of direct file. So in Colorado we use direct file to talk about all these other issues as well. You know, the DA's discretion or indiscretion. Um, the overuse of it that that is all term so otherwise there would be another system to move juveniles from juvenile court into adult court there's is usually a, a two-day hearing uh-huh. um, originally what would happen there you know that'd be like a separate it's almost like a like a small like mini like court case where they would go over the facts and decide whether or not this particular, this particular case should be brought to adult court, and that was that way since like the 1920s. I think most, right? I think I think most states from the 1920s had this mechanism. Then, at least here in Colorado, um, there was a, there was the summer of violence. That was what a 1993, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And the summer of violence was this kind of was kind of this time where there was a lot of kind of gang warfare. Some kids got killed really young, and like the city all really freaked out about what was going on with the growth of the Bloods and the Crips here here in Denver. And they called an emergency legislative session, yes. right? And it was like a ten-day session where they passed what, like five or ten laws? Oh, I think or more than that. It you was know, all ridiculous. these new things. That was it was just, the most was productive congressional session yeah. ever. And it was all to get tough on crime. And one of them, right? Just one of them was kind of okay. You can, you can have this direct file, which which allows the DAs to kind of do away with these like two-day hearings because you know a lot of DAs say, you know what? Essentially, then we'd be kind of trying the case twice. And it'd be traumatic for some of the victims to kind of go through the go through these cases more than once. And they said, fine. So, you know, in particular cases, like first degree 
um, you know, you, you can direct file these kids straight from juvenile where they started straight to adult court. There's no way back. Let's, uh, to to give a better sense of this, why don't we use an example? Natasha, can Mm -hmm. you take us through, um, so you've been working on this for five years. How many kids do you think you've talked to? Or I I guess I should say. um, Not kids anymore. Yeah. How many many people who, right, how many people or how many who were kids when they were sentenced? I've definitely talked to more than 12. Wow. Yeah, that's okay. Wait, yeah. Can you can you take us through one of the stories that you think maybe represents uh, kind of exhibits uh, all of the the um, the the path of direct file? Sure. Um, actually, I'm going to do a hypothetical first and then I'll, I'll give you some awesome. specifics because it gets really um, difficult. So in Colorado, uh, uh, let's say a 16 year old boy does something that is direct file <clears throat> eligible. So the DA comes in and, and to their parent, if their parent is present or to whatever attorney they might have present as well, says we can either file you in uh, adult court or we can give you this plea bargain what are you going to accept and and as I mentioned before in 95% of those cases that child that 16 year old takes a plea bargain um, if it actually goes to trial then they could be sentenced in adult court and I think it's extremely important to point out that in Colorado there is no separation once that child is is uh, sentenced in adult prison uh, they could be you know put in the same cell as a 40 year old sex offender now, usually wardens make a decision not to do that, and they segregate that, but that often means solitary confinement for these kids as well. So that's one and There were some problems, you know, in the past few years with yeah. solitary confinement in these kids, right? Absolutely. And there's been... Um, and, and, and in fact, one of the positive things that has happened is actually yesterday, Governor Hickenlooper signed into law uh, something that will allow that those kids aren't held in adult jails before they are sentenced. Mm. So um, there were two uh, recent deaths of juveniles who were tried, and I think they were both in, in jails. It was before their sentencing, who committed suicide. So It's you interesting that at least one of them was here in Denver when Hickenlooper was mayor, right? I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I think that Yeah, I think right. one at least, you know, committed suicide, you know, in the past few years. Yeah, so it's a real so. present situation. I mean, this is something that we're dealing with. And when, when you're, you're, you know, talking about a kid and and this is a life or death decision, I mean, they're committing suicide in our jails. Like, why is that happening? What's driving them to that? That's a problem. Um, another hypothetical, if you were in another state, how that would be different is that same 16-year-old kid, the DA comes in, they try to do that plea bargain, they try to you know, say that this is what would happen to you or we can send you to adult court. The difference is that the kid would have the ability to go to a transfer hearing, which we were describing before, where they would present things like um, their mental health, uh, their their some things about their history, say mm-hmm. if they were sexually or physically abused. Um, all of that would be considered into whether they should be moved out of the juvenile system into the adult system. And then in addition to that, many states, even after that, if a judge says, yes, let's transfer this kid to the adult court, many states have a mechanism where that kid can still appeal that decision. So in Colorado, we don't have any of those checks and balances. Those kids go straight to adult court based on that DA's one decision. So a specific case, um, I think an interesting one and what I lead with in the story is Gary Flakes. Um, so Gary Flakes was involved in a really horrendous crime in Colorado Springs. It's, a volu- it's um, been nicknamed the Valentine's Day Massacre. 
and two young boys, two um, white boys, were shot down in their neighborhood when they were coming back from playing video games at a friend's house. Um, Gary Flakes was driving the car that day. So he ended up being direct filed on. He went down to the police station with his dad. They kept on asking, do we need an attorney? Do we need any sort of, you know, should we be worried about this? And and the detectives kept on saying, no, don't worry about it. You were just driving the car. You weren't you were involved. And then meanwhile, they were preparing a direct file case. So Gary ends up spending many, many years in prison as a result of that. And meanwhile, unwinds his crime and figures out what direct file is, why he was direct filed, why he probably shouldn't have been direct filed, because the, the, the things that he was actually convicted for at trial were not direct file eligible crimes. And that, that means, I mean, there's, it, depending on the year that changes, what crimes can actually be direct filed. Um, and in his particular cases, what he was convicted of weren't things that were eligible for direct file. So he is a 16-year-old kid who ends up in an adult prison, and he shouldn't have been there to begin and, with. And how many years was he in jail? I think, I want to say 15. 15. And, wow. you know, that, that particular case is, is interesting, and, you know, you really go in depth on about the crime. And I think that that's why this direct file issue, it's so hard to, to separate out what is reasonable as a law and a system and what sort of goes overboard because i read the details of that crime where these two boys 13 and 14 were just walking home and they get brutally shot down in their neighborhood if i'm the parent you know as the parent of a middle schooler if you know if that happened to my kid uh, or a kid that i knew i would say the 16 year old should be locked up for 15 years i mean i don't it would it would it's hard to sort of like when when you're dealing with the the worst of the worst crimes to then try to step back and say okay we well we need to have leniency or we need to have compassion when in in so many of these crimes it's like i mean that yeah the the person was 16 but in a crime like that why not have them locked up that many years well, and I think one of the things that's important is right now there's a legislation going through the House. It's House Bill 1271. And what it deals with is sort of an in-between option. It just asks for that transfer hearing, which to me solves a lot of the problems that we have right now where the DAs don't have oversight, where no one's looking over their decision and saying, wait a minute, you're using this too zealously. Um, this would allow transfer hearings, and the judges in that hearing could say, yeah, let's send that kid still to adult court. We still have that mechanism in place, but we start to have a little bit more control So in over those the hearings, justice. the DAs then have to pr provide evidence yes. to say, here's why this crime was so extreme that it must be taken out of juvenile yes. courts and go into the adult courts. Precisely. Well, and Natasha, you've been, you were at the State House, house this week listening to this legislation. Did it just pass out of committee, correct? Passed out of committee last week. It's on the slate for, for discussion. Okay. Any day now. So uh, how, what was, what was sitting through that, that hearing like? I mean, I, I'm kind of curious because as Jared brought up, you know, there's the public outcry because what we see in the media, obviously, are only the very worst. I mean, we see this all the time. Last year, the, the kid I'm thinking right now on the Eastern Plains who killed, I think it was his grandparents or his aunt and uncle, something like that. He was very in young. Burlington. Yes. Um, and so, you know, we've got this imagery, and I think it creates this kind of public fear. But what, what actually happens? What, what went down at the State House? Was there, uh, what kind of people were there testifying? Well, it's interesting because I followed this, this 
story and this topic for so many years now. I've been to so many of these committee hearings, and to be honest, one sounds exactly like the next. The DAs come in and they present that worst of the worst case. The kid that just, I mean, every, when they tell the story, everyone in the room just stops and listens, and you can't even imagine the horror of that situation. And then the advocates get up and they start throwing out facts about how the DAs are using this, how the plea bargains are doing this. I mean, one of the examples, uh, I mentioned parasite before, which is when a child kills a family member. It's estimated that in 90% of those cases, they dealt with extreme sexual or physical abuse during their life. So they're often getting to an age where they can fight back. Do they fight back inappropriately? Yes. But that's the way that they they can sort of break out of this cycle of violence that they're in. So the advocates get up and give those numbers, and what you end up with is that everyone's sort of talking, but no one's conversing in the middle. No one's having a conversation of how how we actually make this work. Well, and I guess that was the most striking thing um, about your story and what kind of tipped me toward you know, this direct file system is, is really something's majorly wrong for it, with it. It, because it wasn't the stories of the most egregious murders, patricide type of cases. It was the ones where you pointed out that these direct file cases are now being used against juveniles who've committed aggravated robbery or have gone on sort of a juvenile crime spree, not killed anybody, but all of a sudden they're being put in the same bucket and being faced with adult criminal charges as the you know kids who killed their family or killed someone in cold blood. Well, and, and that's the, as I've watched this grow and seen these sort of crimes that are allowed or that use of direct file expand, that's what makes me nervous. I think that the conversation about the worst of the worst is, is people can find some common ground on that and kind of agree that, yeah, maybe there are some kids that we, we don't know what to do with. Um, but when you're getting into a kid walking away from a juvenile facility and direct filing on them... Is that the right use of this law? Is that what they intended in 1993 to solve juvenile justice? I, I, that's a hard sell for me. I, I just can't see that. Can we talk about um, the coverage? I want to. I kind of kind of want to switch switch gears for a second, and I want to kind of talk about as us as kind of media professionals on how we cover an issue like this. Like you said, that you've been covering this now for five years, and you wrote this great feature for for uh, fifty two eighty. And how many words was that about? I think it came in over 8,000. Yeah, so it's, so it's a big story. And as we even said here to begin with, I mean, there's no simple way to explain it. I think I wrote probably 6,000 words on my story. And I didn't even get into a lot of the direct file stuff. I put that in a separate like online story. And to me, this is one of those really challenging stories to write about as a reporter in that – it comes down to these fairly kind of complicated and subtle kind of mechanisms, right? It's all about it's all about well whether or not you get a single hearing. And most people say, I don't care about this hearing. I don't want to even read about this hearing. I just want, you know, what captures the attention, as we're saying, are the worst of the worst. You know, these kind of horror stories of the kids who have like lived through these like living just basically like these prisons with you know, that their parents have created and now they went and lashed out and just hear these horror stories. So how do we actually kind of kind of get 
like the readerships to actually focus in on what's important and direct file issues, you know, without, you know, because I mean, how many people really are going to read my 7,000 word story? How many people are really going to read your, you know, your story for 280, especially the people who really like matter and maybe pushing issues like And then this the forward. only people that leave comments are the ones saying, why are you trying to gain sympathy for these exactly. killers? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that with this, it's, it's hard because it's not, as you describe, a, it's not a, a narrative. It's not a character-driven piece as much as yeah. it's a story about policy and law. And who wants to sit down and read a legal document? Yeah. <laughs> it's not interesting. Um, and part of the problem with this particular instance is that these kids, as you describe, they're, they're not necessarily likable. You don't finish it and say, oh, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a good person. I feel good about, about who they are. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to do those stories. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's what's interesting about this is that as I've continued to, to write about it and other people have written about it and other people continue to write about it, and that's, I think, the great thing about journalism is that even though it's not an easy topic, even though it's not an easy story, people continue to publish this, this piece. And if they don't read mine, maybe they'll read another one. Yeah. And eventually... We're going to get people to, to start talking and listening to the, the conversation. So are you optimistic that things will eventually change? Or do you think it's going to stay the status quo as it's been since 1993? Every year, almost every year, something happens to change direct file. Mm. I think that the current House bill um, would do a lot. It would be a dramatic change. Well, what does it do? Because I, I clicked on the link and I just saw that it was a... You know, a House bill, legal document, and and he went down. to go watch Glee instead. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the current uh, the bill that they're discussing actually puts in place a transfer hearing. It brings that back. So this is a huge, dramatic change. It also limits the number of crimes that are eligible for direct file as well. I won't get into spe specifics of all that because it gets a get. So it would no longer be direct file then. I mean, would it? We will still have direct file, but it would be direct file through a transfer okay. hearing. So a kid could still be sent to adult court. But you'd have to have a transfer of the worst hearings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have to go in front of a judge and make your mm. case. And that's the difference. And, so, uh, and we were talking about this before. You know, we, the, as you said, every year this comes up in the legislature. And, and every year something is done. Is, this, is there any chance that this is going to create another loophole if this legislation passes that could? I mean, is, is, there, is that always going to be the case that somebody's going to fall into the middle of this? Absolutely. I think, and, and that's a great point to bring up because one of the things that's being talked about right now, a Denver Post editorial ran last Sunday that said it was too soon to overhaul juvenile justice again because they had looked at this issue in 2010. Well, in, in the recent changes that have happened with direct file, they actually require uh, DAs to do this thing that's called notice of intent to direct file. It's a paperwork that they have to file that says that we maybe will direct file on this kid, and here are some reasons why. Now, that presents a scrambling period. I think it's about two weeks that the child's attorney could then basically plead and argue with the DA to say, don't do this. But it's, it's become, as I said, just massive paperwork. It's completely bureaucratic. So they're filing notice of intent to direct file on all kinds of kids. Simply huh. because they might eventually want to direct file on That's them, so wow. you end up with loopholes all the time. And and, yeah. and, and, and what are what are this uh, this legislation's chances of passing? Certainly, now we don't have Bill Ritter as governor, who, as a former DA, vetoed a lot of the attempts to change direct file. But Hickenlooper doesn't have those same allegiances. It, will this actually pass? I'm optimistic. I mean, it came out of the committee with nine to two support, which is great for a direct file bill. I think that. I'm 
honestly, I'm I'm surprised that this issue came up in a campaign election year because mm. it's so difficult. I mean, no one wants to appear soft on crime when they're running for re-election. So the fact that this is coming out, that it's had the support that it did in committee, we'll see how it does on the House. If it does well in the House, it, it's it's going to do well in the Senate. Well, we also have, I mean, our the crime rate in the in the country overall is down generally. And I know that's one of the things that, that some of the uh, – uh, the detractors are using against, um, you know, uh, against uh, checking and balancing direct file here. But it, it, as you've said, it's very difficult to prove that there, that that's a result of of direct file because crime is down everywhere. It's not there's there's no tie to that necessarily directly. Anywhere. Absolutely. Since 1993, there's been a decrease in juvenile crime, and that happens in states that have direct file and states that don't have direct file. That just, to me, seemed like such a stupid claim that they would say, oh, we have to keep direct file around because it's reduced juvenile right. crime. I mean, juvenile crime, and you pointed this out in your piece, if, if, if you're a teenager and you're going to commit one of these crimes, you're not thinking about direct file. You're not thinking about, oh, I might be charged as an adult for this. You're not thinking about anything. You're a 14-year-old or you're a, you're a teenager, Right. That's part of being a teenager. That's why we have juvenile yeah. courts, because you're not thinking about anything beyond what's going to be happening in the next 15 minutes. Yeah, I have yet to see a 14-year-old reading a legal document. So yeah. <laughs> once I do, maybe I could buy that <laughs> argument. Well, and Ron we did. Ron used to do that. Um, <laughs> as we discovered, we week, Ron, Ron was a basis for the TV show uh, Doogie Howser. Oh. So he actually was reading legal <laughs> documents when he was 14. And, and Aaron Brockovich. <laughs> See, we can make fun of Ron <laughs> because because he oh wait no he's got to talk uh oh oh no don't no, turn it off don't I'm trapped behind oh. the glass turn, turn off turn off Ron's <laughs> microphone we get to make fun of him without him responding <laughs> so okay and there's so many more things that you get into in your article Natasha including um, some of the the science that the the brain science that's being used in some of these cases right now too um, about uh, adolescent brains and uh, development. Um, but we're going to move on to our next topic. We will also post um, Natasha's story uh, at denverdiatribe.com in the blog post that we write up for this episode. And Natasha, people can find directfail5280.com slash directfail, correct? I believe so. And uh, you will be following up? Do you think maybe on what happens with the legislation? Absolutely. I did a blog update on the story yesterday talking about some of the current stuff that is going on, but I'll, I'll continue to follow it. Great. We'll post links to that, too. So moving on to our next topic, uh, Frontine, Frontier Airlines, uh, once again, is asking people to vote in their on their latest mascot, adding to the eight that they currently have, which include a dolphin named Flip, Hector the Otter, a quad of penguins, a rabbit, a lynx, and others. There are a whopping 18 candidates to vote for currently on Frontier's Facebook page, including hip-hop prairie dogs Will and Hill, Ralph the Ram, a sloth, a turtle, and, of course, a dung beetle, which is, um, I think, kind of the most interesting. That's the one Westward pointed out. Very stinky. But sloth and turtle, too, why would you have these? You know, it's like, do you want your airline represented by by sloth and turtle the slowest animals it seems like frontier is is putting together their little this this is the extension of their noah's ark so i'm curious to know what you guys who you guys think should should be loaded into the ark this time around 
You've looked at all. Well, the I like the picture of the giraffe, which all you could see was its neck. <laughs> it was just like a neck, the giraffe neck. So I'm going to go for just necky, the giraffe. <laughs> neck. Yeah. I believe the giraffe's yeah. name was Joanne. Okay. <laughs> but that's a good one. I like how Vanessa's like memorized these. It's I know. Impressive. I'm she, really. She I did some I homework think last really night. Clever. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm pulling for the frog. I think that frogs are underused as folks animals. Mm-hmm. There should be more of them. Joel, do you have a favorite? Yeah. Uh, well, I wanted to kind of bring in like a write-in candidate. Can I bring a write-in candidate? Oh, please. I yes. Bring in South- Bonus points. I want to bring in Southwest as the new like <laughs> mascot, and then we can get free bags again <laughs> on Frontier. So Frontier's mascot will be Southwest. Yes, Airlines. and then we can all get all the good stuff that we get on Southwest on Frontier again, like not charging us like 50 bucks per check-in bag. Are you listening, Frontier? Because <laughs> I'm talking to you right now. They're, Sorry, I had, to not get, listening, I, I had to get that off my chest. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, the the thing that I think is interesting about this campaign is that there's actually animals that we, a, a lot of humans eat that are proposed to be on the planet. Like, like I don't, giraffe. Dolphins. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> the pig. I oh. mean, there's bacon there, and there's, I, I think there's, there's a, a few. Uh, there's a cow. There's they a cow, put, exactly. You just put, like. Chicken. Yeah. Just the bacon. If they just put the bacon on the plane, who wouldn't want to ride it on a plane with a giant picture of bacon yeah. on the side of it? I think that the might imply plane. that you're actually going to get food on this yeah. plane, though. Or just bacon. Just, or just or in, put the infuse the smell of bacon. Oh yeah, I never want to leave. <laughs> it would be great. Who, who cares about flight delays? We're sitting here smelling bacon. Yeah. I I, I, anyway, I'm with Natasha about the frog. I think that Frontier. I love the animals. Okay, this is why I brought up the campaign. Obviously, animals are are like the best thing you could do for any kind of advertising campaign. But in this case, I love looking out at the Frontier tail and seeing. It's there's something really comforting about seeing the animal there, and it can't be a house pet either. I don't think because if you're flying somewhere and you're thinking about your house pet, then you might get sad. Stowed below, <laughs> yeah, or that you you could start crying. It might be too emotional. But if you see an, an animal from nature and in the wild, it's almost like okay, if something happens on this plane, I'm going down with the lynx. Like the lynx is going to take you know. There's I think it's a really comforting thing. So I think it, I think it, you need to be really. So careful. where would you go? So, so the frog. You, you want to go for the frog? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So how would you feel if it was the dung beetle? Um, the, the dung beetle. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's Ron's favorite. He's saying yes. Um, the dung beetle. I know because the dung beetle is not. I I don't feel support from the dung beetle at all. <laughs> there's something really you know. You know that it was uh, some creative was was thinking that this was the best idea ever. But haven't we learned anything like from Stephen Colbert? Like people will vote for crap like that. Of course. We might end up with the dung beetle on the plane because it's poop. <laughs> they needed to talk. Somebody had to talk about poop. Rachel, you study this at the Humor Code. Yeah. Anyway, so we have another <laughs> potential failure that I want to talk about at DIA. Jared, I'm hoping you can weigh in. Um, so Mayor Hancock has just, uh, or, or Mayor Hancock has recorded new DIA train messages. Welcome to Denver train messages. And um, Patty Calhoun at Westward recently lamented the fact that there are no um, conspiracy theories mentioned, which is, of course, something that we talk about a lot on the show. We talked about it at the Kill Cowtown. Jared, you're our expert in this. How, how do you feel about this? Well, in, in reading Patty's uh, piece on the Hancock uh, DIA train uh, voiceovers, two things struck me. One is that Patty Calhoun is like our city's historian of all the different ways that those recordings have changed over the years. So <laughs> she, she spent so much time on those on those trains back and forth. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is is the question of should DIA then incorporate in all of this talk about conspiracy theory, sort of acknowledging it in a playful way. And uh, 
it is interesting because over the past three or four years, this has been something that the airport has been struggling with. How do you do you acknowledge the fact that these conspiracy theories exist? Do you continue to ignore them? They have, in some small ways, tried to dip their toe into at least acknowledging a little bit. Um, on their website, you can find like a little thing that in their facts about DIA, they try to make some small joke and dismiss it. They made a little video where they try to do the same. But otherwise, I think that it is, I, I in fact know that it is something that in the halls of DIA and their sort of press and marketing uh, media rooms and their gatherings, they do struggle. What What do you do? Do you acknowledge the conspiracy? Do you try to co-opt it and make fun of it as a way to sort of diffuse it? Because at this point, it's gone from being something that was just sort of this outlier on the internet that was just sort of humorous to something that has become so prevalent in the conscious. That's a very small portion of the population, right? But among people where when I was out in LA recently, I um, was sitting down and talking to some people and uh, some interesting folks, but the bringing up that I was from Denver. Oh my God, Denver, the Denver airport conspiracy. Do you know about it? Do you know about the, the bunkers? Underneath Jared was like, why, yes, I do. <laughs> Funny you should ask. I'll bring out my, my, been to my notebook and start reading from it. And she was pretty impressed by that. But that just goes to show you that, you know, this this isn't something that's just like they can ignore. Right? So it what does have do? an impact. So, yeah. so, so, so once you are hired as the director of marketing for DIA and I think around next year, around this time, they're going to. You know, I thought this. about this, and I'm not, I'm not really sure. I mean, on one level, just because it would be extremely entertaining for me, actually, ha I, would, I would maybe perhaps point them in the direction of actually trying to co-opt it and embrace it as a way to ultimately diffuse those theories. You know, having an actual, um, you know, their next art exhibit would be about the different ways that the conspiracies have evolved. They could, um, you know, run some sort of campaign as a way to say, "Hey, look at this funny." But wacky the theorist would just say that that they're doing that and on that's, purpose, and that's the ultimate problem because every time that they've tried <laughs> to do anything, like for example, they invited Fox Thirty One is a few years ago to come down, and Fox Thirty One wanted to do a story about these conspiracy theories, and so they allowed Fox to go like underneath some of the tunnels and everything like that, and Fox kind of pitched it as oh, hey, these wacky conspiracy theories, but, you know, they're not real. And you got sort of the, the quotes from the PR people saying, well, it, it, you know, we don't know what's going on with this. It's sort of a fun thing. But ultimately, the people that truly, truly, the hardcores that believe in this and theorize about it and create, you know, articles and videos and things like that, they say, well, of course they'd say that, right? <laughs> of course you would say that. And, and you, they only let you down to level one. They didn't let you down into the 12th level. <laughs> But clearly they're not letting him down to the 12th <laughs> level. Go down there. And so, you know, ultimately does embracing it or sort of making fun of it, does it actually get you what you want? There's, there's a certain segment of people who are never going to change their mind about anything, but maybe it might help with all these people who just hear about it in passing to see that the airport has embraced it. And if you embrace it and you talk about it in the same way that, you know, Area 51 or um, in Ron's hometown of uh, – Roswell. Roswell, where you can go to the gift shop and, you know, the DIA should have a conspiracy theory gift shop there. Yeah, that's my proposal. That's, a, that's right a money maker. Yeah. What would you sell at conspiracy theory? Oh, you'd sell little shop. models of the Mustang horse. You'd sell um, posters. <laughs> that you'd press that. a button. <laughs> like a that you would press a button and it would fall kid. over. People. Would it fall off? No, Ron and I, 
DIA conspiracy <laughs> files. <laughs> They're going to open it anyway. DIAconspiracyfiles.com. <laughs> Folks, get in touch with us. If you're interested in some tchotchkes of DIA conspiracy theory, we, we've got some plans and we'd like to um, you know, hear what you'd like to have and we'll, we'll make it happen. Awesome. We, we can't wait for that. Actually, I'm, I'm expecting, anticipating some DIA conspiracy theory um, diatribe Christmas gifts next oh, year. Okay. Please. Um, So we are running out of time, so I want to go around the table quickly and do some love and hate for the week. Jared, will you start us off, please? Okay, I have a hate driving between uh, on Highway 36 between Superior and Boulder. There is one small portion of the highway where reliably every single time your cell phone coverage will go out. You guys probably know what I'm talking about. It's when you're driving (laughs) up the big hill going out and there's these like two humps where they made this road cut. And it just murders your cell phone connection, right? It just goes out, right? And so you can always, you know, I was actually talking to Ron one day when I was driving back from work. My cell phone went out and he knew exactly where it was. It was like a GPS because he knew, <laughs> he's like, I know exactly where you are on the road because it goes out. And what makes me so, what's so strange about this is, you know, why this like one portion of this area doesn't get cell phone coverage. Like I can drive up Boulder Canyon. I can drive like, through the mountains and still get cell phone coverage. What is it about this Bermuda Triangle of no reception, of Uh-oh. no coverage? Here we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's what I want to hate on. I'm not going to go any further, yeah. Joel. You sure it's you. not a conspiracy? Yeah, it's, I'm sure, especially since you were talking to Ron, I, I, I was thinking a conspiracy theory was going to We already have a blog up about it. <laughs> Surely you do. Joel? Uh, I'm going to hate this week. I'm going to hate Rod Blagojevich. Blagojevich. <laughs> who turned who turned himself in yesterday down in Littleton, right? The Inglewood Correct Facility. So, but supposedly, he drove up and he was going to get out. And he was like, "Oh, wait a second. And he drove away, and he drove down uh, to Freddy's, frozen custard and steak burger, which is this like '50s diner chain. Instead of going to a real good restaurant, he went there, and then it gets worse. He goes inside, and he buys not one. But two freaking what? Like tuna melts, right? <laughs> the tuna melts. Yeah. And I mean, honestly. No, but, but the weirdest thing was that because I, I read a story like this too, but it was like there was all these teenagers there that were on break from school. And he goes up and he starts introducing himself to them and like sharing his, sharing his fries with them. Did you hear that part? Yeah. And he's he like, trying hey, to make I'm inspiration. And they had no idea who he was. Oh, but, yeah. But for me, honestly, like I would never eat a freaking tuna melt. Like my entire, especially like the last meal. Before you go away for 14 years? I'm sorry. What's wrong with like, the tuna melt? Okay, can I come in for just... Yeah, what is it? <laughs> so <laughs> my, a friend, a fellow writer of ours here in town, Josh Berman, he flew on a plane from Chicago to Denver with Blagojevich, and they talked about lift tickets the entire time, as if he was going <laughs> skiing. The guy's The guy's, the guy's a sociopath. Yeah, like, he is. Like an yeah. amazing sociopath. Anyone that buys tuna melts? <laughs> no, best, it's not like, the tuna melt. No, no, to me it's tuna melts. In Colorado. Melt. It's a bad, a bad <laughs> I mean, the, the rest of the stuff I can forgive... The corruption. You don't buy selling tuna melts. <laughs> you don't buy franchise-level tuna melts for your last meal before pre- I'm sorry. You don't. You don't. Okay. okay fine. That's all I have to say. Judge I'm Joe done. Warner. <laughs> Wait in. Direct file his yeah, ass. Direct file his ass. <laughs> <coughs> sorry. Natasha, would you like to share some love or hate with us Ooh, this I'm going to do both. Um, watching the CU game, I'm super excited that they won and advanced. It was not pretty, but they advanced. Um, and at the same time, just watching the tournament reminds me, you know, looking at something like Murray State and, and the chance, the, the fact that they have a chance to play in a tournament just makes me that much more mad at college football. Who needs to have a tournament system? Yeah. Awesome. So more go buffs. 
go buffs. We've got buffs here. Um, I'm going to give uh, some hate this week just briefly once again to Excel Energy for um, th- oh. For threatening to reduce solar um, in Boulder because we, we're voting them out and trying to get them kicked out of town and have our own municipal facility. But Excel, really, you suck. Um, okay, that's all the love and hate we have. No? no? I, I have a very quick one. Oh, Julian, oh. I'm sorry. Uh, God, I didn't know you. Julian. Yeah, I, I have one. Uh, I just wanted to very quickly love on Natasha's new segment on 5280.com. <laughs> rants and raves it's awfully familiar to us so we love it it's I, a great idea i do think we've been doing rant and raves for longer than you have <laughs> mm. Ooh, throw down, oh, throw down. We're okay we'll, have to test that. we'll go check we'll have to check but either way i love In it because we understand it it's simple for us <laughs> so we like it and we'll post more to that uh julian love hate what do you got for us this week uh, i'm sorry i didn't mean to skip over you were so quiet back there this is kind of weird but I'm going to hate on the weather because there was not enough snow this winter. So I'm sad that I didn't get to like enjoy the powder. Yeah, it was only here in the city instead of up in the mountains where it belongs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I really get that. I do. I kind of miss, you know, it's it's the middle of March. Like I'm expecting, you know, at least this should have waited until April. It's a little bit freaky. It's our snowiest mm-hmm. month. Yeah. And it's 75. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not ready for summer yet. I'm not. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. All right. Well, that's okay. Now that's all of the love and hate that we have for you this week. If you have something to say about today's topics or would like to share a little of your own love and hate, please leave us a brief message at 720-282-YELL. That's 720-282-9355. Each week we'll pick our favorite messages and play them on the show. Thank you, Natasha Garter of 5280 Magazine for joining us this week. You can read Natasha's work in the magazine and online at 5280.com. Our theme music is brought to you by the band Houses off their summer EP. You can subscribe to the Denver Diatribe podcast on iTunes and Google Listen and say hello to us on Facebook or Twitter at Denver Diatribe. For more information, check out our website, denverdiatribe.com. I'm Vanessa on behalf of my co-hosts, Jared, Joel, Julian, and Ron, and our guest, Natasha Gardner. Thanks for listening. That's why I'm saying, oh, we